Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Mad Max Minute, where we're rolling right along in Mad Max to the Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 66. We are executing Minute 66, <laughs> which begins with sped up footage of Max driving through a raider camp, and it ends with the black on black rolling violently into a ravine. Good Monday morning, Julia. Oh, it's Monday already, huh? <laughs> the weekend was not nearly long enough. <laughs> no. We start off today with the tail end of the shot of Wes running to a vehicle, and that vehicle turns out to be the Lord Humongous's battle truck, the one with the scouts lashed to the front of it. I'm still disappointed that this truck is not the truck that's named the Lone Wolf. Lord Humongous's truck should have a name. Yeah, some sort of... I would even say, like, a stylistic decal on the side, you know? Yes. Kind of trying to think about what that decal might be. Well, I definitely don't think it would be something like a bombshell painting from a World War II bomber or anything like that. Nothing so directly correlating to the gyro captain's gyrocopter, although that's just pasted on girly magazine pictures. I kind of see the Lord Humongous's emblem as being maybe some sort of variation on his mask or a, a flexing muscle arm or something like that. You know, something to reference him directly. Yes. Maybe even the skull and crossbones from the little Totenkopf inside of his gun box. Oh, that might be a good one. I definitely think that that job should fall to the toady. Yeah, he does that's... seem to be in charge of the brand. Yeah, he's. that's part of the hype, is having <laughs> some kind of logo, I guess. Yeah, some sort of symbol. I mean, Toe Cutter had a symbol. Yeah. And I think... You're right. I think we can chalk it up to the toady not, I guess, doing more with his position. He seems to be very specifically the hype man and not much else. Yeah. It seems to me that being the hype man leaves you a lot of free time. Yeah. So maybe he should be doubling up on his jobs. <laughs> like, he should also be the humongous's valet, you know, taking care of him. Okay, I was going to say taking care of him physically, but that... Sounds weird, but you know what I mean. Like, taking care of his needs. Yeah. Making sure he's clean and, and well-dressed and something like that. Because, honestly, somebody needs to make sure that the Mahungus is well-dressed. Yeah, considering that his options are leather-belted bikini or furry vest... Right. At the very least, he needs to be making sure that the Humongous is wearing sunscreen. Exactly. Although, we don't see that much of the toady except for his scene where he introduces the Humongous and then gets his fingers cut off and the minutes in this week. Yeah. It could very well be that the toady is on sunscreen duty if they even have sunscreen at this point, but we just are never graced with that image. <laughs> I'm sure somebody from Downton Abbey would say something like, a good valet is one where you never know he's there. Something something hoity-toity like that. Yeah, something like their efforts are never viewed but always seen or something like that. Yeah. Like, you never see them doing it, but you always notice that they've done it. Yes. 
At the very least, the toady should have painted some sort of intimidating name on the side of the Lord Humongous's wagon, like pulling something from Army of Darkness, just call it the Death Coaster or something like that. Right. Something that just, oh no, here comes Lord Humongous on his Death Coaster. Like, that sounds amazing. It does, instead of modified truck. Yeah, I almost feel like Lord Humongous strings people up on the front of it as his hood ornaments. That's a good point. That's something that I think helps with that reputation building. Yeah. That an insignia on the side or a name for his vehicle also is provided by having human hood ornaments. Yeah. Which, can I add, why are they still there? <laughs> Were they not part of the murder-torture scene? You would think they would be. Yeah, but I mean, then again, we only saw, specifically, I think we only saw four scouts. There were three initially. Yep. And then later on, they showed another one being pulled up. Yeah. It's hard to judge it's exactly so hard, how yeah. many people go up because, yeah, we see those four that you mentioned, but I mean, it's a montage. Right. There's so much like flashing and darkness and flaming nunchucks. Yeah. It, it's kind of, yeah, it's really hard to pick out specifically what we're seeing and then count on it. And I agree. It is weird that the scouts that were left on the truck were left on the truck. Yeah. I, I suppose they could have been put back on the truck, which would have been just more torture, so mm -hmm. <laughs> seems up up their alley. I don't know. One thing's for sure, though. It's the Lord Humongous's truck, and the fact that Wes is borrowing it probably isn't sitting mm. well with the Lord Humongous. How long has it been since Wes has actually driven his own bike? Ooh, has it been since the Golden Youth was killed? Was that the last time we saw him ride his own bike? Yeah. Because he rode up on that bike with the Golden Youth, and yep. then he rode off in the sidecar with yep. Bearclaw Mohawk carrying him. Yep. And then the next time we saw him, he called his mount, and another biker came, was jumped on the sidecar there, mm -hmm. and now he's taking Lord Humongous's truck. I have two theories as to why this is. One, I think the lesser likely of the two, is that for Wes, that bike is where he and the Golden Youth were together. Like it's got painful sentimental it's, memory. Exactly. Or number two, which is I think the more likely, is that he had it taken away as punishment. Yeah. By Lord Humongous. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So it's clear to see why he would, in the first instance, call someone to ride the motorcycle up for him. And in the second instance, jump on someone else's car in order to give chase. Because Wes is the kind that sees something happening and his first reaction is, I must give chase. And before we move along in the plot of this minute, I just want to point out, oh, oh, the sped up footage. Yeah, so... Oh, it's so bad in this minute. It's very prevalent, and it's very easy to see. And there's so much of it. I mean, normally you don't pay attention to when the footage is sped up, but... No, no, normally it either doesn't bother me or I don't notice. This took me out of the movie. Mm -hmm. The very second shot of this minute is the black on black speeding along the underbrush and pretty much driving straight through the raider camp, just bold as you please. And between Max driving through the camp 
the sped up shot of Wes in Lord Among Us's truck pulling away to pursue him, and then the shot of all the several vehicles chasing after the interceptor. Like all of that, very sped up, very obvious. And I remember watching the commentary on the Blu ray where they talked about how when they were making the movie, it would be a couple of days between when they shoot it and when they get to watch the dailies. And I think the story goes that by the time they got the footage for the dailies back, they noticed that the shot of Max driving by and all the vehicles leaving, it just looked too slow to them. And so not being able to go back and do reshoots, they just decided, oh, we'll trim out a couple of frames here, speed up the footage there, and no one will even care because it'll just look faster and everyone will be more satisfied. Okay, I guess. I feel like it's one of those when your back is up against the wall and you're going for a certain feel because he definitely wanted to create a sense of speed that Max is getting out of there like some sort of bat out of hell and it just didn't look that way when Max was trundling along driving over the uneven ground. Yeah, I can't imagine that it was at all easy to drive fast on that type of landscape. Yeah, because you notice that interceptor is bouncing quite a bit. It is. And so if they had been going at speed, it probably would have been very bad on the suspension of that car. Yeah. Not to mention all of the dirt and dust and rocks getting kicked up and whatnot. Very true. And of course, how do you make cars pulling away from a parked position look fast because most of those they needed time to speed up so okay i agree i mean i still don't like it oh no it it looks (laughs) horrific but i definitely understand why they did it yeah i completely agree it looks very out of place in fact i counted one two three four eight different sped up footage shots in this minute alone yeah which now granted there are if you count every time the camera shifts there are 33 shots in this minute. And eight of them? And eight of them are sped up footage. Which, I mean, it's not like half of them are, but I mean, even so, that's a good quarter of this minute. Yes. Just used up in sped up shots. So as these enemy vehicles depart and start chasing after Max, we get a look at the Lord Humongous who has probably popped out of that tent behind him and he runs gingerly, I guess, over towards where the camera is sitting and looking out over the vista of all of the vehicles chasing Max, he says, you disobey me, you puppy. Okay, I love this line. It's a fantastic line. It says so much about Humongous and Wes. I love that he calls him puppy. Puppy is a word that some people use as an affectionate nickname, like Mm -hmm. hun or babe. Puppy. But that is the opposite of how Humongous is using it. Yeah, it's not like... You remember when we were watching... American Gods, I think it was on AMC. Yes, exactly. That's Laura what I was Moon would of. call Shadow Moon Puppy as a pet name. And I feel like it's one you don't hear all that often. No, it's not a common one. Because when she started calling him Puppy in the show, I was like, is she is she talking about Shadow? And it's like, yeah, yeah, she is. That's, there, that's her cutesy name for him. But with Lord Humongous, he's not being cutesy. He's calling his dog of war a young pup. An untrained canine. Yes. And he's referred to Wes a couple of times as his dog of war. So I really love this parallel of now calling him a puppy, essentially demoting him. (laughs) Even though there's nobody to hear. Yeah. (laughs) And he's been doing it. Pretty sure he took Wes's bike away. Now he is no longer a dog of war, but a puppy in training. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see a little bit more of that down the road. 
Yeah, it's definitely one of those situations where the Lord Humongous is constantly having to deal with this disobedient element in his horde. And, I mean, how many times does Wes have to tear apart a sofa or pee on the carpet before you really start to realize that maybe it's not 100% Wes's fault? Maybe it's also a bit the fault of the Lord Humongous, because as Horde Master and Mohawker, they share a, a bond between the two of them of, you know, one teaching the other and one instructing the other in what's appropriate behavior and whatnot. And I don't know if there's a Cesar Milan for raiders, but I feel like the Lord Humongous could definitely use someone to just help come in and reconcile the differences between those two. Well, from Humongous' point of view, no. There's no reconciling differences. Wes will obey or he will end up chained like a disobedient dog. Yeah. The Lord Humongous isn't an example of the best, most empathetic dog owner. No, 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 no. He's one of those dog owners that their dogs end up in shelters and need to be placed in homes where they are understanding and gentle. So Wes just needs a gentler forever home. Yes, he does. Where they'll love him and, you know, comb him and give him baths, you know, and then he'll probably turn into a relatively personable dog of war. Perhaps. One can only hope. Maybe Wes just needs some love. And maybe his bad behavior has been accelerating since the Golden Youth died because the Golden Youth was his companion. Yeah. And it provided him with someone to love and someone to love him back, whatever that love was. And we know that even before the Golden Youth died, he was still impetuous mm -hmm. and still argumentative with Lord Humongous, but it does seem to have accelerated and gotten worse since yeah. the Golden Youth died. You can tell that he's just not dealing with his grief in a healthy way, and it's not helping that he's also a raider. Right. Oh, he is so much like Max. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. Not dealing with his grief in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Next, we see the black on black speeding along, silhouetted. You've got bottom half of the screen is very dark. The top half of the screen is starting to lighten up with sort of a pinkish red color. You get the sense that the sun is coming up because Max departed in the middle of the night. As he's driving by the raider camp, it's starting to get a little lighter. Now the sun is rising. I actually like this next batch of shots, mostly because of the colors used, even if it does create a continuity problem later on in the minute. Yeah, this is definitely something that we see differently. I do not like the lighting used. It confuses me. I don't find it necessarily appropriate for what's happening. It's not like it accentuates the events for me. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't do it for me. I think they should have used the same lighting that they used back in the raider camp when Max flew through and everybody chased. Mm -hmm. That they switch to this darker lighting for just a couple of shots, I find it disconcerting. Mm -hmm. So is it just like a continuity thing for you? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I can get over the continuity thing. We've seen it in the past. I mean, they've done this kind of thing before. But this time, it's much more dramatic, I think. As Max speeds along in this weird in-between lighting, we see him shift the car 
pull the knob on the supercharger and then the supercharger starts to speed up. So with two full huge gas tanks, Max can just speed along to his heart's content. And that's exactly what he does. Then we cut to what is very clearly later in the day with just Max and the Lord Humongous' truck. And I feel like there's a scene missing that this cut from Max in the very early light to Max in seemingly, I would say, middle of the morning, not even early morning, just mid-morning, sun's already pretty high, and he's out on the road. And I find it especially jarring because we just saw several vehicles all chasing after Max with the Lord Humongous' truck pulling up the rear, and now it's just Max and just the Lord Humongous' truck. I feel like there's something missing here. I agree. I think if there were a scene in between the darker sunrise and the daylight scene, that darker sunrise wouldn't have thrown me off. Yeah. And also, yeah, you're right about the number of cars following. Like, I feel like there should have been one more shot between the supercharger spinning up and us going to this other roadway. And I think that shot should have been everybody gets to the highway or whatever road they're driving on and the pursuing vehicles split up, Lord Humongous' truck goes up the middle, and then the Lord Humongous' truck keeps going and leaves the rest of the vehicles behind. Because we know from watching Minutes Down the Road that eventually those vehicles are going to catch up, and that we're supposed to believe that it's just the Interceptor and just Lord Humongous' truck that are able to keep up with each other. And the way it just hard cuts like that, I find it a little disorienting. I agree. I think I would like to have seen all the chase cars and Max all together, and then Max hits the supercharger, flies off, yeah. And then Humongous's car hits the nitrous oxide and flies off after him. They're the only two with boosts like that, so they're the only two that can take off. Yeah. Leaving the other two in the dust, but they're still chasing. They're still back there. Because as it stands, we see Max pull the supercharger for no reason. Yeah. He's not being pursued in the shot that we see him going along silhouetted against the morning light. Yes. There's nothing immediately behind him. Like, yes, he knows he drove through the camp, but there's no immediate danger. Every time we've seen him use the supercharger, it's because someone's right on top of him and he uses it to get away or catch up to someone. Right, right. So yeah, I would have liked to have seen a reason why he does that. And I would have liked it to be clear that the night oxide for Humongous's truck was in response to Max's supercharger. Yeah. Another thing that really throws off the continuity of this scene is when we look closer at the Lord Humongous's truck because Wes, who was driving initially when the race started, is now perched on the front of the car. Not so much in front of the captives. He's behind the captives, but in front of the driver. And not only do we have another driver, but the toady is also perched up on top of the truck, just out of nowhere. Yeah, where the heck did he come from? And he's not even useful. Like, if someone's gonna pop out of nowhere, at least let them, like, have a gun on them or something. He's absolutely useless. I have a theory about that, though. I wonder if he was curled up asleep on the floor of his perch area, because that's where he sleeps. Because Humongous thinks so little of him that he doesn't get a proper tent. That is a horrible theory. And But I can imagine he gets jostled awake by the chase and stands up and is like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And I would have also liked to see how the heck Wes and Bad Cop switched places. I mean, it would have had to be, it could, certainly couldn't stop to do it. So it would have had to be at speed and just like really quick and mm -hmm. and just like slide out, slide in, keep going. Yeah, I think I that's how know. they would have had to do it. Yeah. As Wes is perched on, I guess, 
the nose of the Lord Humongous's truck. He is signaling for the driver to do something. He's raising his arm up and down, and we see the driver reach over to the side of the car, and he starts turning the valve on a nitrous oxide tank mounted to the side of the truck. So I jumped on HowStuffWorks.com, and I found where someone asked, how does nitrous oxide help an engine perform better? So it says, when you heat nitrous oxide to about 570 degrees Fahrenheit, or give or take 300 degrees Celsius, it splits into oxygen and nitrogen. So the injection of nitrous oxide into an engine means that more oxygen is available during combustion. Because you have more oxygen, you can also inject more fuel, allowing the same engine to produce more power. Nitrous oxide is one of the simplest ways to provide a significant horsepower boost to any gasoline engine. Nitrous oxide has another effect that improves performance even more. When it vaporizes, nitrous oxide provides a significant cooling effect on the intake air, and when you reduce the intake take air temperature, you increase the air's density, and this provides even more oxygen inside the cylinder. The only downside to nitrous oxide is that it's fairly bulky, and the engine needs a lot of it, like any gas, it takes up a fair amount of space even when compressed into a liquid. A 5-liter engine, for instance, running at 4,000 RPM, consumes about 10,000 liters of air every minute, compared to about 0.2 liters of gasoline. So it would take a tremendous amount of nitrous oxide to run a car continuously. Therefore, a car normally carries only about a few minutes of nitrous oxide, and the driver uses it very selectively by, you know, pushing a button or, in this instance, flipping a switch. That actually answers a question I had. Um- you mentioned the RPMs. We get a look at the meter, mm-hmm. and it actually it threw me off at first because it's times 100, and our standard here in America for the RPMs is times 1,000, so that threw me off a little bit. Yeah, because um, when it said 60 or 80... At first, I thought that was the speed. Right. That, those numbers like make sense to me. Yeah. I had a whole like journey in my head about realizing what was going on. Even so, when we first see it, it's going at 6,000 RPMs and rising fairly quickly. Mm. And then the nitrous oxide comes in and now it's running at 8,000. Probably higher, it tops out at 8,000 and it hits that top pretty quick. Yeah. So probably much higher than that. And I looked up a little bit about if running your RPMs really high is bad for your engine. Part of the answers that I got is that doing so creates a lot of heat, which engines do not like. Right. So the cooling effect of the nitrous oxide might help combat that effect of the high heat from the engine running faster. But it can't be a good thing in the long term for the engine. No, 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 no. There's a lot of moving parts in there that probably don't like moving that fast. Yes. Uh, They pointed out that the engine's not going to die right now, but it's going to take years probably off the life of an engine. And the numbers that they were talking about, this was a Reddit thread, the numbers they were talking about were more like 4,000. Yeah. At a... For a long period of time, like over a course of hours, running it at 4,000. And this is, you know, six to 8,000. Holy cow. It just, this truck is going to die soon. (laughs) They also pointed out something else that I thought was interesting, that engines that are high-performance engines, like Max's car and like Humongous's truck, they are very dependent on being well-lubricated. So their oil needs to be high-performance oil. It needs to be clean. It needs to be nice and full. There needs to be plenty of it. It's not something they worry about. (laughs) Right. There was something else that they pointed out. If you're going to run your engine so high, you need to make sure you're okay. Oh, like air filters and whatnot. Right. So if you maintain your car well, then running, again, they were talking about 4,000 
RPMs over the course of hours, then you might be okay, but you're still knocking time off the life of you. Yeah, definitely not years if they're only running it for half a minute. But even so, I don't know. That's a lot. I mean, you (laughs) think that a significant amount of time passed between when Max hits his supercharger and when Wes hit the nitrous oxide. It definitely doesn't look like Wes even factors in the nitrous until we see him waving his arm. Yeah. Which means that this whole time Max has been driving with the supercharger, Lord Humongous's truck has just been driving under its own power. Mm -hmm. And now that they've caught up to him, but they're unable to overtake him, that's when Wes starts signaling. I have a feeling that the loosening of the nozzle allows nitrous to seep out of the bottle and into the engine, which is why we see a slight increase. But that switch probably opens up all of the bottles. And so that's why they, as we see in this minute, all get flung back. Yes. Like they're on a rocket. Oh, the toady. Stupid, stupid toady. (laughs) He's hanging on for dear life to the truck, of course, and to his hat. Yep. And spoiler alert, the spoiler of the truck. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't the presence of the toady spoil the effect of the spoiler? You could argue that any human body on that truck would spoil the effect of the spoiler. Because the the whole idea of the spoiler is that the wind that is moving quickly over the spoiler pushes the rear axle down. And you've got all of these bulky humans in the way. And so it's probably making the air around that spoiler rather choppy. Yes. So the fact that it's an open air vehicle and whatnot probably means that the spoiler is less effective. But I also feel that the benefits of having the spoiler outweigh the diminished effects of it on an enclosed vehicle. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. It's providing that push down so that those four tires can squeal and smoke as they start moving faster. Right. And it's here, after we see the toady holding on to his hat, that we see the next four shots of just sped up footage as the truck quickly gains ground on the interceptor, moves alongside it, and then we see Wes take one of the exhaust pipes, pull it out of position, so now he's just got this giant chrome pipe, and he swings it down at the interceptor's windshield and just smashes right through it. This, for me, was reminiscent of toe cutter smashing his his axe thing down on the windshield of the chevy absolutely absolutely i saw that too yep so that was some nice callback Mm -hmm. and so max seeing this pipe come through his windshield throws his hand up in front of his face and the next thing we know max is starting to get thrashed around pretty violently Another thing in this is that there's no sound for the smashing window, which I found bizarre. Mm -hmm. I suppose that I could chalk it up to Max not hearing the sound because his senses were so overloaded that he just didn't hear the sound. He didn't comprehend that there was this other sound going on. I'm surprised you say that because I definitely feel that that sound effect was there, but there was also a lot of wind and engine noise. You think the sound effect was there? Yeah. Okay, so I just took another look at it. I now agree with you that you don't really hear the sound of the windshield shattering. I think I thought I heard the windshield shattering. It might have been really quiet, but yeah, the sound of the engine was much louder. I'm not sure if there's anything meant by that or if there was already just so much going on that they didn't need to add in another layer of sound because it is very noisy. There's lots of things 
happening. And our attention really does not dwell on this because the windshield being broken causes Max to careen off the road. Yes, he does. <laughs> and not only does he careen off the road, but he starts to tilt as we're with him in the car. And then as we pop outside the car, we see that the right side tires of the black on black are now up off the ground. He is starting to roll. And then for my word, what for feels like way time. too long, the black on black is just rolling along the ground and we cut back inside max is being thrown around like clothes in a dryer which i can only imagine how the dog is handling this oh gosh the dog and we spend the rest of this minute just watching the black on black roll eventually it heads down a hill so it gains momentum again and keeps rolling and once it hits that hill it starts throwing up this red dirt yeah that is oh i love this visual so much it's nice and dramatic and you know reminiscent of blood which is very appropriate this is a disastrous wreck for max mm -hmm. the fact that he survives at all is miraculous it's also a really disastrous wreck for us as viewers because we've come to know that the black on black the v8 interceptor is an extension of max yes it is his life it is the top thing on a very short list of things that he really cares about in this world yes very true and to see it wreck like this kind of feel is appropriately dramatic like, if you're going to send out the black on black, the way it goes out is appropriately weighted, I think. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this isn't even the end of the black on black. We're going to see that later on, not until Wednesday. Nope. <laughs> Just one more quick note before we wrap up about the imagery of the red dirt. When is this going to come out? This is going to come out on December 4. December 4. Okay, so still prior to the new Star Wars movie coming out. Right. So this reminded me of in the trailers, the speeders going flying over the white landscape but they're drumming they're drumming it up behind them and yeah. it's the dirt underneath is bright red so it's a very similar uh, imagery that i really liked nice at the very very end of this minute we see that the black on black reaches the bottom of the ravine and we don't necessarily see it hit and come to a rest we're going to see that tomorrow so be sure to come back we're going to see if max and dog are okay we're going to see how they handle this wreck that they've just been a part of, and we hope you'll uh, come back for that. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 66 of The Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.